listening to Hey, Thomas, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Shane. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I always like to ask people who work in security and I guess tech in general, how they got into it. Um, it's one of these industries where people generally have pretty interesting backstories. So I'd love to hear from you how you got into tech and then eventually security. Yeah, like I, I didn't um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in my life. It's a bit, it's a bit of a philosophical, uh, philosophical answer straight away. But uh, yeah, when I was in college, I kind of looked up to a couple of, you know, uh, people that were a little bit older than me, cousins and things like that. And they were all in tech. And I was like, OK, this is an area I might want to be in. But I kind of hedged my bets and said I didn't, you know, I don't know if I want to be in consulting. I don't know if I want to be in like pure tech. I don't know if I want to go into security or anything like that. And yeah, joined one of the like big consultancy firms straight out of college. Um, I worked there for a year, learned a ton about how to do things correctly and probably more about how to not do things correctly and not treat your team. Uh, but really enjoyed the experience. Uh and then managed to get out by somebody else being like, hey, these, you know, there's, there's better opportunities out here and got out reasonably quickly straight into like a, a, a kind of a weird security job, um, which, yeah, was just like super interesting. So, like, uh, yeah, so consulting was pretty much just uh, like internal audits, some forensics, some like, like pen testing, things like that. Uh, but moved to eBay where I was on the like technical investigations team. So, yeah, didn't really know much about phishing, didn't really know much about like account takeovers or fraud or anything like that, but got an experience where my team were, we're a small enough team, maybe like seven or eight people worldwide, but our job was uh, to identify large criminal organizations abusing eBay and PayPal, uh, where the, the, the remit was they were making over a million bucks a year on the platform or like off our users. And it was to identify the people involved for attribution and prosecution. And basically just had like loads of, like it was fun. It was a bit of a cat and mouse game. Uh, it was tragic as well, seeing people lose a whole load of uh, a whole load of money. But it was really interesting just like going down and learning tons about like cybercrime and scams and yeah, like vulnerabilities in the platform that were being abused and like large scale phishing attacks. And this is at the time that PayPal and eBay were like the number one and number two fish brands in the world. So we were getting targeted all the time. Um, yeah, did that for a couple of years and then... Uh, after that, yeah, joined, uh, got an opportunity. I spent a little bit of time in the US and then got an opportunity to join a security operations team. Thought it might be a, a good time to uh, move a little bit more into the, yeah, in the operations space and worked for a couple of years on, uh, in DocuSign's op like security operations side. So, uh, responsible for incident response, threat intel, security infrastructure, all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, uh, from there joined or started Tynes. But, uh, it's been a, there's no real like, I want to get into tech. It was just kind of like a bit of a journey following some smart people uh, and yeah, being in a privileged position to, to work with some really smart people and learn, learn from them and learn with them. Cool. And since then, it doesn't seem like you've moved too far from the security operations side of things, having started Tynes a few years ago with, um, with Owen Henchy. Um, we're going yeah. to hear a bit more about what Tynes is, how it got started and I guess what you actually do day to day there. Yeah, sure. So, so like the life of somebody in security operations is hard. Uh, so like when we were in DocuSign, we were like working long hours, but we were getting good, like good, uh, like good support. We had a decent team, but the challenge that we faced was that, you know, the better we got at detecting, the more tools we got, the more we had to respond to. And 
yeah, the like the better their threat intel was, the better our detections got. We're like, oh no, we started seeing like this is this is actually really hard. We're we are going to get like compromised at some point, and sure enough, same as pretty much every other organization, there were some large incidents involved. And um, but when we looked around and we talked to our peers, we said like, hey, what are you doing? What's the, like? Are there any tricks here? Is there anything that you're uh, that you're doing that we're not doing? And a lot of people said, you know, hey, like we're we're, we're automating or we're trying to automate. And we looked at. Yeah, we looked at a lot of automation platforms and we didn't like them. We said they're they're really hard. They're kind of clunky. Um, you kind of have to be a developer or somebody that like uh, certainly knows how to write Python and knows how to like write some decent code. And while we had good people on the team, they weren't necessarily the people that you wanted to be like, or they weren't the people that they, they didn't as themselves want to be like, you know, writing, uh, writing code for like boring, boring operations and automations. So yeah, we started Tynes uh, about five years ago to be an automation platform that was simpler. So Tynes is a security automation platform. Uh, we allow people with very little like coding background to automate repetitive manual tasks. Um, it's mostly a workflow builder. It was certainly a workflow builder at the start. We built a whole lot of things uh, on top of that right now. But it basically allows you to take a process, and as long as you're familiar with the process, uh, you can automate it in a few, using a few simple tools. Uh, but it can go from anywhere from you know five or ten steps all the way up to hundreds of steps uh, in your process. And yeah, it's now it's a really yeah really powerful platform. We got a lot of incredible customers. We're privileged to work with some of the best security teams out there and learn from them. And then, uh, so I'm chief customer officer now, uh, but my job is basically. Make sure the team's happy, make sure the team's successful, redline legal documents, all that sort of stuff. But mostly it's like work with our customers and work with internal teams to understand what our best customers are doing and then like pass that on as best practices to other people. So it's really, you know, being at the front line of what good security operations teams are doing and then evangelizing that to uh, to our customer and prospect base. There's always sales and uh, stuff like that involved, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a fun job and Tynes is a, it's a yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great platform when you see what people are doing with it it's just a, it's a privilege seeing yeah seeing people's secu security analysts security engineers their lives are easier as a result of using the platform it's great so and um, yeah i mean i guess the product that you built um from day one was pretty much solving a problem that you and owen probably had when you're working yeah. on various security teams across your previous yeah. jobs um did the product change at all over time or were you guys pretty much spot on from day one no <laughs> i think um like when we we built version one, we're like, this is it. Look at this. We've built something amazing. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Just wait until the customers start rolling in. And now I look back and uh, yeah, I'm like, Ooh, that was that was rough. But they say you should be embarrassed by your first product uh, when you launch it. Uh, we weren't. We were delighted with it. And now I look back and I'm uh, I'm slightly embarrassed by it. I'm like, that was uh, that wasn't quite in as good uh, as good shape. But the actual core principle that we had, so like we we had like. When we when we set out, we said we wanted the platform to be simple enough for anybody to use, and so you didn't have to be a developer, you didn't have to know Python or write any code. We wanted it to be agnostic as the tools that it was connecting with. So it didn't matter if you were connecting to like you know uh, your own internal uh, like CRM or your own internal Threat Intel platform or a commercial off the shelf tool like CrowdStrike or uh, Qualys or Jira or something like that. And then the third thing was we wanted it to be super fast and lightweight. And that's like, we've stuck through to that. Um, 
the platform has evolved though. So it used to be most like pretty much all on this, what we call the storyboard, the, like the canvas of the, that you're designing your workflows. So we've now introduced like interactions outside of the canvas, uh, which allow you to, you know, either kick off workflows or interact. Say, Hey, Shane, did you do X? Uh, or maybe you want to bulk look up a thousand IPs or, you know, enrich a thousand vulnerabilities or something like that and display some information back on a map or in a table or in a downloadable file or fetch stuff. That's all possible now. The other thing we've introduced is we've introduced, so records. So the idea of being able to record what's happening uh, in a simple database and then, yeah, cases as well where you can kind of track what you're doing and collaborate a little bit on more significant uh yeah, more significant things that you want to collaborate on. So maybe it's a, yeah, maybe it's an incident or maybe it's a request that you need to, um, you know, have a bit more of a chat about. That's, you know, the thing, the phrase we use is, uh, you know, automation for the things you know about cases for the things that you don't. Um, so yeah, we've, but the product has expanded quite a bit, but like the core fundamentals of it are, are pretty much the same. And that's, that's very, yeah, very gratifying. The company has changed massively. Uh, we're now like 165 people or something like that. And that's, uh, that's been a bit of a ride as well, but again, it's it's been fun. Yeah, they're all good problems to have. Um, I think yeah. one thing that surprises me and I guess a lot of the other people that are working in the security space in general is just how mature security teams are. You know, all the things and various features that they look for, all the tools they're already using. But um, at the end of the day, security teams in general, uh, and I think both Tynes and Evervault have a roughly similar goal, which is to improve security across the internet. Um, mm-hmm. One thing about security is that it's very much a long tail risk that a lot of people don't necessarily grasp until they've actually experienced some kind of data breach or identity theft or something like that. Um, you've obviously spent a lot of time in security investigations for when these things actually go wrong. Um, I'd love to hear if there's any kind of noteworthy security incidents that you've either heard about or been involved with that you think are interesting and that could be good to learn from. Yeah, there's a there's a ton um, that I was involved in both. Yeah, both an eBay and a DocuSign. Some are like NDA worthy and others are like generic enough that you can uh, talk about in the general sense. The biggest one that I remember, so I, I used to think that, you know, nobody would like the, the job was, you know, prevent every single compromise. And to a certain extent, that's what you're charged with. But we're, like in security, you kind of have to presume that there's going to be security. And that's why, that's why you exist. And you can never stop absolutely everything. So you have to be able to detect and yeah, detect and respond uh, and yeah, then put in place measures afterwards to to prevent them from happening again. But yeah, in, in eBay, we had a a pretty a couple of pretty bad ones. Um, the worst one was at the time there was a, I think it was like a Belarusian uh, crew or maybe just a, an Eastern European crew that were, that had compromised a whole lot of different people. So they compromised LinkedIn, they compromised Yahoo, they compromised Glass.fm and a bunch of other people. But what they were doing was they were taking for example, LinkedIn passwords, uh, cracking those, they were all like, uh, I think they were all MD5 hashes. So it didn't take very long to, to crack those. And then they were just like finding anybody that signed up for LinkedIn with, uh, you know, Shane at evervault.com and trying his, uh, well, looking for the most interesting companies and then trying uh, trying those. And yeah, and they managed to compromise several uh, email accounts in, in, in eBay that way. Um, and then from there, yeah, the, from there, they, they managed to get somebody who was uh, an admin of our Active Directory, uh, managed to, I think, intercept a couple of uh, 2FA requests or 2, 2FA issuances, basically. Get get 
ultimately they they uh, they escalated privileges where they were able to es- they were able to uh, issue their own like second factor tokens for our VPN, uh, and then they got into our network and they pivoted around, got a couple more accounts, and yeah, basically dumped everything. But the what was interesting at the time, like, was we had like decent sim, we had decent detections, but boy oh boy, were we like completely like caught out by simple things like you know not having like not having two-factor authentication on all all of our email accounts for example uh like allowing simple enough passwords not encouraging for some people like yeah strong uh like strong unique passwords for their uh their email account but what i remember was like i remember afterwards because the the one of the vectors was that vpn one of the things that we did was like the office, well, the office didn't shut down, but anybody that was remote was like prevented from logging in for a couple of weeks, as you can imagine. But we, um, yeah, we, we every single time somebody, uh, then like for the next basically six months, every time somebody like requests or connects to the VPN from a new IP address or requested a new like uh, whatever two FA app, we had a team both internally and then eventually sub, uh, like supplemented by like some consultants where they would contact that person by email or via Skype, eBay on Skype, and say, hey, Shane, do you recognize this activity? <clears throat> and what was like crazy was that this was like a manual team where we were spending like tons on consultants to get them to, uh, yeah, get them to like just contact people randomly and say, hey, do you recognize this activity? And they'd say yes. And we didn't, we like didn't catch anybody yet, didn't catch anybody that way. We caught a couple of weird, like weird activity, but there was no, the, the guys were long since, uh, long since got gone um but that was also that activity that like reaching out to somebody saying hey do you recognize that that was also the same way that the solar winds breach was uh like detected where somebody added a new uh added a new like second factor to their octa account i think it was in uh in solar winds which like mandiant or uh, or fire eye detected at the time um but yeah that's like a really simple process that i suppose we noticed yeah, we noticed we're just spending a lot of time on. And it's one of the things that like, yeah, we learned that we should just be automating. And that's like, that's pretty much the simplest story that every single one of our town's customers automate. So every single customer will like suspicious login from a weird location, either on their email or 2FA uh, or like SSO or whatever. Uh, they will contact the user on Slack saying, hey, do you recognize this activity? If they say yes, then they close the case. If they say no, then they escalate and they immediately revoke all sessions and stuff like that. Um, but that's like one that I remember being really yeah, really painful, like front page of like TechCrunch, front page of, you know, Twitter, like all that sort of stuff. And it just hurt a lot. Um, but yeah, learned a lot, learned a lot from it on like what we could detect, what we had for, like had logs for, um, kind of, there was nothing crazy. It was just like a reasonably basic attack that, that compromised us because we didn't have a ton of, uh, we had like decent security measures, but just didn't have enough controls in place. So it was, uh, it was sore. Um, yeah, the response more, is always loads more stories. Yeah. The, yeah, the response is always the most um, painful part to me. I think you know we've gone through processes like SOC two and so on, and uh, even as part yeah. of the SOC two, uh, you kind of need run books for what happens when you detect all these breaches and just incidents in general. Mm-hmm. And it's surprising to me how many of the run books are still just on paper. So uh, any kind of automation, oh, yeah, brutal, is yeah, is just so much easier and makes makes life so much easier for people. So I'm glad that Times exists. 
Yeah, and like it's like and again, there's there's like a time time exists. There's plenty of other platforms. There's plenty plenty of other ways. What's really interesting is when people have like those run books, but they're live, where it's like, hey, you make a change in, for example, Confluence, where your run book is, and then that will affect an automation. That's kind of where we see a lot of uh, a lot of our sophisticated customers going. Um, or if someone's like, hey, so how do you you know how do you approve access to certain apps, or how do you you know detect if like or how do you ensure that you know no uh, like EC2 instances spun up without any, um, like without whatever certain permissions applied. Like, well, this is how we do it. Because as soon as it happens, it sends off a guard duty alert and then we automatically revoke those permissions, et cetera. But like saying, hey, this is live uh, is, is how it works. The only challenge is, or not the only challenge, a lot of the challenges is that there's an old, um, yeah, like military phrase, which is generals are always fighting the last battle they lost. Uh, so a lot of the time people are patching and building out processes because they've been told like, oh, this is how they got, or not even told, they, they, they got compromised this way or they got hurt. Uh, there was, you know, a very serious uh, like incident or near incident as a result of something. So that's what they'll go after. But yeah, most obviously if you don't do that, you will get hit by it again. But you also have to be looking towards the future and using tools like Evervolt to be like, hey, if, if somebody does get closer to my crown jewels, what do I have to make sure that it's not actually catastrophic? Yeah, I think um, a lot of the time we're talking about all these various tools that get used in security as well. And um, it sounds like one part that Times helps with is the actual runbooks themselves, you know, what you do when you detect some event. But um, there's been serious sprawl over the last number of years and the number of different tools that security teams buy. Um, it seems like you guys also do a pretty good job of aggregating all those things together. So, you know, if you've got a SIM and you've got um, just audit trails from things like CloudWatch and so on, that you tie them all together. Um, but it all sort of points to this old adage of build versus buy. Um, at times, how do you guys think about security tooling and, you know, whether we're going to move more in a direction of having more and more tools or fewer tools that are just kind of more tightly integrated? Oh, like we see it, we see everything. I think the best teams have like a strategy around it and say like, this is actually what we're, this is actually what we're focusing on. And it's not just, we're buying a tool because it looks shiny and we're, or we're building a tool because like, Hey, we, you know, uh, Steve said he wants to, wanted a project this summer and this is a project that he wants. The thing that I think about when I, uh, with like build versus buy, there's a lot of security teams that have like incredibly smart people uh, on them and they absolutely I've no doubt could roll their own sim and make it effective or roll their own EDR uh, in some way and make it effective or roll their own encryption and like but in in many ways depending on the security team that you're on and that your your risk posture and your risk tolerance it's probably not a core competence of yours to build something that's better than everybody else out there and that's custom to you a couple of different reasons. One, you're inevitably going to underestimate the amount of work involved in building and shipping one of these things. There's, I'm um, not saying that you can't, but there's a lot of like good enough tools out there uh, that do a pretty good job where they've got entire teams that are like spending time spinning up, uh, they're spending time like developing something. But I think the other challenge is like, if you're, if you're, if you are saying, Hey, like I want to yeah, roll my own X um, and build it internally, you have to rely on that person or the team behind it being there and supporting it for the long term or even the medium term. And when we've seen people do it, it's often a, it can be successful. It takes a long time. It's often a project that takes a, like a huge amount of effort, it takes a lot of focus away from other areas they could be spending time on. And then inevitably in two or three years time, when those people move on to a different project, people are like, I don't know how to support this. And the reason is that it wasn't built for scale 
or it wasn't built for the enterprise that we're uh, that we're going to be at the moment. Or even worse, it's like we just can't find anybody who wants to spend their time maintaining this like legacy system over here that you know somebody spent a couple of months uh, or a couple of years building. So, unless it's a core competency, and if it is a core competency, like you know, it makes perfect sense. If it's like core com- core to your business and a key like differentiator against your competitors, you should absolutely look at building it internally. But if it's not, then yeah, just. Uh, look at the market, have conversations and see, and it's up to the CISO or up to the CIO or CTO to decide, is this something that's actually going to make a material difference to our, uh, to our company? And if it's not, then we should, uh, we should be looking at building and finding something that's good enough. And yeah, having people focus on much more company specific risk reduction efforts. That's what, that's what we'd recommend. And not dissing, not dissing people that do it, but like security people bite off more than they can chew and they have a tendency to yeah scope i think scope projects a little bit like ambitiously so yeah i mean it's, it's very similar to the usual advice friends. that yeah it's it's pretty easy to uh to find the security community so i wouldn't worry too much about that um yeah it's, yeah, it's very similar to engineering in general though right like you know most people who are building tooling uh, unless it's part of their core business they probably shouldn't be doing it so um, i don't think security yeah. is any different um no but you guys obviously spend a lot of time speaking with security teams and I guess are your core customers. Um, I'm guessing they're probably a little bit more uh, cynical or um, I guess just in the weeds on how good your own internal security is. Um, how do you guys structure security at times just organizationally and you know, is it part of engineering? Is it a separate team? Um, and was that a, a consideration from day one? Yeah, like un- un- fortunately or unfortunately, it was a good, it had to be a consideration from uh, from day one and we've had to be, like, had to be very... Uh, yeah, very careful on how we've uh, we satellite. We've got, yeah, um, like Fortune tens, like large banks, uh, like government, like governments, um, whatever international institutions, as well as some incredible security companies like you know Elastic or Sophos or Barracuda, or whoever as uh, as customers, uh, and then you've got your standard like just large enterprises or like you know crypto customers who have like zero tolerance, um. Yeah, so we we knew that like as an automation platform as well. We're you said earlier we're hooking into a whole load of different systems. So you could be hooking into your uh, like EDR platform, but you're also probably hooking into your like uh, people management system. Maybe it's like Workday or Bamboo HR, but you're also hooking into your Gmail and you're hooking into your SIM. And all of a sudden you're like, well, actually, you've got access to a huge amount of information in this platform. So you have to be very careful about um about how to uh how to do it so we have like a uh a yeah like a production environment that's incredibly locked down so we've hired very good engineers and their job is basically like don't like don't allow anything in there every single access is audited not only is there an alert crate for the security team the engineer has to um yeah has to like acknowledge and say uh like hey here's the reason why i went in uh there's yeah good file integrity monitoring things like that so if anything does change that's unexpected we'll uh, we'll know about it uh there's obviously really good like bcp dor teams but then yeah as you said like it's it's also about the structure uh, of the team itself so we've got yeah a head of uh, a head of security and his job is um yeah it's like platform security and like i suppose like, like the detection response side so it's uh we've used a bug bounty to try to detect everything uh, or to, like try to create source activity all of our customers are not all of our customers. Many of our customers will be like pen testing the app themselves, uh, like taking our code, ripping it apart, uh, and like or pen testing our um, 
yeah, pe- like Pendessing, a, like a fortunately a, a siloed or dedicated cloud instance where they can knock it out and not affect any customers. Uh, and then, yeah, like anything that we detect, any like you're doing your standard like scanning, like static and like dynamic application scanning to see is there anything or are there any dependencies that are vulnerable? The answer is there's inevitably going to be some things, but again, it's about detecting and responding to it as quickly as possible. So making sure that we have visibility so that if something does pop up, that we're able to like, yep, hey, patch uh, really quickly and alert our customers to it. Uh, or making sure that like, yeah, even if something does happen, that it's not going to hit our crown jewels. And our crown jewels are like, is pretty much any customer data or access to any customer systems. We don't want uh, we don't want anything happening there. Um, but yeah, it had to be, fortunately or unfortunately, it had to be like a, something from day one myself and own being like security practitioners we were able to build it in but then yeah just like handing it off to like people who can focus on it full-time and an engineering team who know the criticality of it and the other part that's not kind of that i haven't really mentioned is uh just ensuring like uptime and uh like resiliency as well that when you're automating yeah when you're automating uh like business critical tasks any sort of uptime or any sort of like yeah downtime is really yeah really disappointing and um, so yeah you know we have customers where they're processing millions millions of events every single day so even you know like 30 seconds of downtime they're like hey something happened there was a blip and that uh yeah that level of yeah that, that like that level of scrutiny means that we have to like up our game uh so but it's been fun again like you're learning and they're uh like they're giving us good advice and our customers will they're yeah broadly very tolerant if uh if you tell them hey we have to we're going to do something they'll if you give them enough notice everything's fine yeah it sounds like you guys probably have a lot of the same pain that your customers have when it comes to structuring security so do you guys use tines at tines tons yeah there's a there's a, like an entire blog series that we're trying to write uh, about using tines at tines so yeah we use it for like everything so we've used you know introduced records now so that allows us to like use it for like asset management we use it for tracking all of our like uh um like customer tenants now we also use like snowflake and uh like five and things like that as well uh there's some data that we store in there and the like from a security point of view all of our alerts obviously go through so our like sim uh sim alerts will go through there and then uh yeah ed alerts will go through there as well onboarding all new users goes through there but the fun stuff is things like um yeah in like enriching every single lead for example so right now if a customer you know if you sign up on times.com we've got a free community edition uh like it'll look up your like whatever shane levervault.com it'll look up evervault it'll tell us like what sort of sector like we'll basically just have like a lead writing system look up what like sector you're in like tell us a little bit about your role your position uh provide a nice slack message to uh, our customers saying or to your account manager saying like hey here's some information about chain he just signed up but the thing about it then is like we'll also if you for example like import a new story or like like a new blog or something like that it'll say hey shane's back or sign in for the first time in like three weeks it's like hey shane's back and he's just you know viewed the pricing page and there's a little bit of intent there and we can like track it and that's all built on times as well that's not something we should be or we should be yeah, like advocating our customers use but i'll tell you forcing the marketing team and forcing the engineering team and forcing the like the other yeah, sales team to use the platform you get a lot of feedback and it makes the platform like we're consistently trying to lower the barrier to entry it makes the platform easier to use and it's been yeah it's a, like it's a you're you learn a lot from like how random people use the platform not random like how, how less technical people use the platform they're like hey 
you know, what's a, like you, you've got like a, what does it like a binary decision mean? You're like, okay, we need to change this to be like, say yes, no. Or it's like, yeah, hey, what, hey, what, uh, what, what am I supposed to, uh, how am I supposed to encrypt this? You're like, yeah, okay. You're just going to have to like, you know, zip this up and then like put on a password and et cetera. But you just like, you realize you have to make things easier for, for folks in ways that you're unfortunately on. Yeah, way too close to, and I'm just blind. Uh, spent too much time on the platform, so I'm blind to it at this point. So, but yeah, we use Tines for so much stuff internally. It's been, uh, yeah, it's 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 fun. And broadly, it does sound like the product could be useful for teams outside of security as well. Is that something you'd ever consider, or um, is it just something that's not interesting for now? Um, no, it's definitely something we're considering. So we we have a bunch of customers that are using it for outside of outside of security. So we have people that are using us for things like like standard incident management. So your uh, your DevOps or your uh, tech ops teams, where if there's an incident, they want to create a bunch of Slack channels, add a bunch of people in, collect collect records from a bunch of different places, uh, back up that like the chat, create a Zoom channel, all that sort of stuff. Um, we have IT teams who are using us for onboarding, offboarding, um, and things like that. We've got like fraud teams who are using us for like bulk account reviews and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, there's like a whole lot of weird use cases that we don't even consider where like people are sending out, you know, like access requests of tools, again, like an IT kind of use case. A lot of these are, so it's like, if you want access to, um, yeah, a tool for half an hour, or you uh, want to have a software, software request access a approved um you can put in a request it will like times will look up your manager your manager will approve it'll look up your budget owner the budget owner will approve and then it will go to it who will just like click yes and then it will auto provision the way it normally happens is teams will see security doing something so the it team will see the security team like offboard a user so the security is usually responsible for like offboarding uh tools um or offboarding users rather than IT because security will get dinged by compliance. Um, and the IT team are like, hold on a second, it takes us like, you know, two days to provision this person with all these tools. And you've, you know, it's five o'clock on a Friday and by 5.15, they're, you know, they're out of our system. How did you do that? And they're like, oh, we use this tool times. Or the incident management team uh, for like tech ops will be, will see times be used uh because a Slack channel with all the information like pulled from a thread with the run book, saying like, hey, here's what you should do is like, well, and they're like, hold on a second, how did you do this? Because we do the, all this manually. And they're like, oh, we, we use times. And then they'll start playing around with the platform and they'll really like it. We will start selling to those teams directly, but we're going to be a little bit deliberate about it. We don't want to go out and say like, hey, times now use for IT, because then your proof of concepts take longer. You don't have defined use cases. You don't have like profiles or competitive battle cards. Um, and maybe your like land size isn't as big, et cetera. So you want to make sure that you're doing it deliberately. Um, but we have identified a bunch of use cases that we know work really well. And it's about enabling the team to go after and sell those. Um, but yeah, we just have to define what success looks like. So does it lead to a larger uh, deal size? Does it lead to a like a faster proof of concept? Does it lead to a faster expansion? Because if it's not leading to like either you know, uh, more like uh, there's definitely a larger TAM, but if it's like slowing down our process, if we're losing, if we're, if we're winning a smaller percentage of the deals uh, or we're not making as much uh, much money from those deals and we're spending at the same time, it doesn't make sense to do it. So you just have to be careful in how you're approaching it and define the success criteria and measure it. And if it is working, then we're saying, okay, we should actually go after these areas deliberately. If it's not, then we should say, actually, we'll pull back a little bit and maybe we'll, you know, go after a different area. Um, but we're seeing massive traction in security, uh, 
So we're not like saying, hey, we absolutely have to do this, but it's a bit of a no-brainer. If we're able to win, you know, 60 or 70% of proof of concepts where, you know, with DevOps teams for this particular process and we can get X amount of money from them, it's a no-brainer to do it. Very cool. Watch this space, I guess. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I, think, I think we all need role models when we're building companies. I'm curious from your side, are there any particular security teams or products that you admire uh, either just from how they're built or designed or um, just how they've impacted your life in general? Yeah, there, there's a few. Um, so like as a practitioner, I loved working with some vendors and absolutely hated working with others. So the p vendors that I worked with who told me what the product did, didn't oversell it and said like, hey, you know, we do a good job. Uh, you can try it out yourself. You can like have some fun uh, or not even have some fun. You can like, you can try it out yourself. You can like get, get it working reasonably quickly. But mostly they said like, hey, this is what it does. This is what's on the roadmap and they chipped their roadmap. I really liked working with them. The vendors that I didn't like working with were people who said, yeah, that feature will be available in two weeks time. Uh, you'd buy the software and a year later, it still wouldn't be there. It wouldn't be working. Or they'd say like, it'll detect, you know, like, <laughs> you know, every single new domain that's registered uh, or it'll, you know, whatever, like detect, you know, all types of this commercial malware and then you'd be hit by that. And they're like, well, the detection didn't quite work. And you're like, well, then don't tell me that it, it, it does that. So there's a bunch of companies that we thought did a good job at that. There's one in particular, a company called QIntel, who were just like a brilliant threat intel, uh, like bespoke threat intel team. But I like teams like, yeah, random platforms like Carbon Black, where they actually just said what they did in the tip did on the tin weren't too flashy with their like you know you get pwned you're gonna get pwned like tomorrow marketing um and that's what we started times to be we started times to be the platform that we wished we could work with and the, the vendor that we wish we could have worked with so we have a free community edition our branding is like it's weird it's purple like it's purple and pink it's friendly it's like designed so that security is hard you don't have to be told you're gonna get compromised tomorrow because if you do get compromised tomorrow you still don't need to be told it was your fault because you didn't do x there's a lot of like those i suppose not even snake oil well so much snake oil but some dodgy uh, security companies out there so we tried to be a little bit different um oftentimes it's a lot of practitioners that create companies like that as well or like like times as well that uh that are part of it there's some bunch of security companies that do a good job at this at the moment that i'm i'm fans of um the likes of like uh yeah material security or panther or uh like limit charlie or gray noise where there are people that worked in the like worked in uh like yeah i suppose worked in security but you know they kind of let the product speak for themselves and say like hey, we're good at what we do like elastic are similar enough i know they're a lot, lot larger but like we're good at what we do we'll let you like try it out for free our customers will be our biggest advocates but we're not going to tell you like hey we prevent everything we'll tell you this is what we do and we're really good at it um they're the companies that i really admire and the, the people that i really admire behind it there's a bunch of like non-security companies as well that are doing similar things um i also have a bit of a yeah a bit of a grow for like irish startups as well so uh, anytime i see uh see anybody from ireland i'm like oh, I, I, want, I want these guys to succeed and uh yeah i uh, hope that they're uh hope that they're successful and yeah, give them a shout out whenever I can. There's a new, um, then I've, yeah, there's a, a, a new uh, Thread Intel company called Silent Push. Um, a guy called Ken Bagnell started them up. And uh, yeah, they, I think they just announced like last week they got 10 million for, for their Thread Intel platform. And I'm like, yeah, I might check them out and see, uh, see what they're like. So hopeful, uh, again, free community edition and like practitioners starting them, but uh, we'll see, uh, see how they do.
Cool. I heard Evervault's pretty cool as well, but um, yeah, uh, absolutely. Sorry, absolutely. Evervault is yeah. No, like again, your your marketing's really nice as well. You've got like you're very uh, like very friendly and very yeah, like modern. Uh, and yeah, again, a like, bunch of a uh, bunch of happy people telling us uh, telling us good things. So yeah, no, I'm I'm just joking. But um, yeah, um, Thomas, I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on the podcast with me. Um, what's the best way for people to learn more about Tines and get started if they're interested? Yeah, so like Tines, Tines.com, uh, there's a free community edition. You'll, you can start up uh, and yeah, sign up with your Gmail. There's no, uh, no requirement to talk to anybody from sales. A bunch of like playbooks there that you can get started with, several hundred. Uh, yep, and yeah, you can follow us on Twitter, I think Tines underscore IO. Uh, for me, you can follow me on LinkedIn uh, or on like Twitter, Thomas Kasek. Uh, and yep, yeah, say hi. Uh, we're always looking for yep feedback. So give us as much as possible uh, and tell us like, hey, this is uh, this is great. I really like this area, or this is an area that needs to be improved. That's the only way as uh, so companies survive. So we're trying to be yeah trying to be open to it. But yeah, uh, sign up, say hi. Uh, Times.com/slash/slack as well if you want to join the community. Uh, and yeah, we'd love to love to see you. Great. Thanks again, and all the best with Times going forward.